You are listening to the Player Layer Podcast. I'm Ivan Alexiev, and I'm super happy to have uh, Zach and Sam with me, who are the designers of Circadian's Chaos Order, uh, which you can find a link to in the description. It's coming to Kickstarter on October 19th, and I'm very excited about this game. It's an area control game with some Euro elements. I was super... I'm happy that I got to playtest the game with them and I got to spend quite uh, a lot of time uh, with the game and I thoroughly enjoyed uh, talking to them because they're just two wonderful, uh, wonderful guys. Uh, You'll see this is a little bit longer than usual and I think just it was so much fun to be able to talk about game design and what this game went through and it's it's very different to the Garfield games you might be uh, used to seeing. Uh, And we got to talk about that as well and what their plans are for the game. And yeah, I just love it when I get people like this whose just work I love and who I love playing games with. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy it too. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Zach, this is your first first like game, right? Yeah, it is. It's my first design. Um, I have been a friend of Garfield Games for a while, though, and me and Sam are really good buddies. So I did a lot of playtesting on Architects before it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, Sam asked me... Actually, it wasn't that long after Architects came out. It would have been a year after Architects to start working on this game together, which we've been working on for a few years now oh wow <laughs> uh so could you give me like a, a, a pitch of the game because now now the game is finished and it's going to kickstarter um soon so could you tell me um what the game is about is it linked to the uh, first circadians game at all what the like main mechanisms are and stuff maybe i can pitch the the idea and the feelings and sam can pitch some of the mechanisms yeah, go for it. All right. So basically, Sam and I, um, we love uh, like computer games. We used to play Age of Empires together and stuff like that. But we also have a childhood love of Risk. Um, it was probably the first board game that I really loved. And it's probably similar for Sam. Um, but honestly, playing modern area control games, I've never quite been satisfied. Um, either they're too on the kind of American side of things, um, rolling dice and just not much strategy at all, or else they're a little bit too on the, on the Euro-y side of, of um, yeah, there's not really any stakes. It's just kind of like, oh, yep, he's going to win that battle. So I think what was... Uh, in our heads was to create the perfect hybrid for us. I don't say the perfect hybrid because, you know, I don't want to claim anything like that. But for for me and Sam, the game that was scratching that itch of being between that, um, what people call American uh, or a mirror trash, but I wouldn't, I don't think they're trash games, um, and Euros. So that was kind of the idea. and we wanted a game where where combat was important because, say, like Scythe is a really amazing game, 
Um, but there, the combat doesn't seem as important as I would want it to be in a game, which would be considered area control. Uh, so I, I think this is kind of the, the basis. So maybe Sam can talk a bit more about the specifics. Yeah, uh, well said. Uh, just to just to sort of confirm, reaffirm what you were saying, Zach and I have said that this is the game that we've always wanted to play. Um, we're designing the game that we've always wanted to play. Maybe we didn't know that this game existed and it existed somewhere in our minds, but this is the sort of thing that, I mean, if we were playing this growing up we would have just spammed it so much um so this has been really really a fun process um so there are six factions in this game in circadian's chaos order and this sort of takes place after circadian's first light the circadians are humans who have been exploring different galaxies they've found this beautiful planet with beautiful people um these different locals I, I guess you would call them aliens but really we're the aliens the circadians are the aliens mm-hmm. um and the circadians have brought along their their artificial intelligence with them the robots and i mean if you've watched any sci-fi movies you know what happens they've gone a little rogue um and they've sort of broken free of this of the human control and they want to they've got their own kind of agenda and they want to try and gather all the power for themselves so we've got two factions there, the humans, the AI, and then we've got four um, local factions, these different alien races, I guess, um, who each have their own kind of idiosyncrasies and different ways they interact with the land and with the other players. Um, and each of these six factions are playable, and they each have their own way to win the game. They each have their own asymmetric kind of win condition. That idea is something which has really, really intrigued me. Um, the design of Vast, mm-hmm. I think a few years ago, really kind of inspired me. I was like, wow, this is such an ambitious kind of thing where there's a yeah. you know, a dragon who's trying to escape out of the cave and there's a knight who's trying to kill the dragon and then there's goblins who want to kill the knight and the cave doesn't want anyone to leave, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, just that whole idea in game design is really exciting. Mm-hmm. And so... We, we added to the challenge of wanting to design the game we've always wanted to play, this sort of battle game, which was a little bit Euroy, a little bit strategic, but also a little bit of um, tension and, and threat and risk and chance, those sorts of things, and throw onto that um, six highly asymmetric factions that can win in different ways. Um, that was the, the challenge of Circadian's Chaos Order. Yeah. And it, it, it's been awesome, by the way, for listeners, uh, I've had the chance to play this game about 20 hours, and I want to play it more, because <laughs> I, th- I think you've done a wonderful job of every game kind of playing out in a different way, and and I really like those, those different uh, win conditions, because it's not just area control, I feel like there is the, um, you, you, you've got basically, and correct me if if <laughs> if i'm wrong at any point but you've kind of got two phases of the game one where you're kind of more building up and deciding what resources you want and and um kind of building up your, your engine and stuff and then the other one is more the um actual move, moving around and, and uh trying to get territories um yeah um so I think it's important to say each faction has their unique win condition. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but there's also a wind condition that is for everyone, which is strictly an area control wind condition, which becomes easier every round. So it becomes less, you have to control less territories uh, every round to be able to win with the area control um, wind condition. So even if someone is, is way ahead on their personal wind condition, there's always a chance for everyone else um, to win the game. Um, now, in saying that, I've forgotten your question. No, no, it wasn't I a think, question. <laughs> okay, you were talking about the two phases. Yeah, so no, yeah, you, you, you just bluntly interrupted me there. And uh... Yeah, sorry. Man. <laughs> no, um, I just confirmed, yeah. So the first uh, phases are action phases, yeah. um, which the last action is movement. And then when uh, you move into a territory where there's other people, uh, then the phase after movement is resolving all of all of those battles. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I think the, the one one of the coolest things for me was um, that mechanic of it be, how it becomes easier. Basically, the way that it becomes easier is um, you start off the the very first round of the game. You've got six places on the map which. Uh, which you need to control at the end of the round in order to win the game. But then each round, one of those is taken off. So then the next round, you need five areas. Then the next round, you need four areas. And so around, usually what, I, what I've found is, you know, when you get around round four or five, it's very likely that um, like both the, the personal win conditions or the like area control win condition can happen. And, and that, I think, builds like a lot of really nice tension. Yeah, totally. Like if someone isn't doing well in their own personal win condition, if they can sort of block other people from winning with their own win conditions, then they can make a play for the round five relic victory where there's only two relic regions left to hold. Um, so you always feel like you're in it. You always feel like you've got a chance to win the game. And and the other thing we did with this this relic mechanism, so as Ivan said, there's six relics on the board. They're in these different regions. You control all those regions, you win the game. But obviously in the first round, that's just not going to happen. No one's going to be able to control six highly contested regions in the first round. And that's intentional. But I've played a lot of area control games where economy is important. And what ends up happening is people build up their economy for the first three quarters of the game. And only in the last quarter of the game do you fight each other. And it's kind of like this this posturing, this this threat of battle without it actually happening. You know that battle will happen at the end to resolve a winner, but there's there's more incentives to boost your economy elsewhere. And and I didn't want a game like that. Um, I wanted a game where people fight a lot and they fight often um, because then they start to understand the, the combat system. They start to understand different people's power levels and they don't get hit with a big surprise at the end. Oh, it turns out you were stronger than me. Okay. <laughs> I guess I lost that that whole game because we only had one or two fights in the whole game. So we didn't want that to happen. We wanted a lot of battles. And for the result of each battle, not to matter heaps. Uh, that's a new, very New Zealand slang word. A lot, I should say. Um, we didn't want the result of each battle to matter like a lot. We wanted them to matter a little bit. And then people have to sort of have a lot of battles throughout the game. Um, so anyway, back to this relic system. Uh, the relic that is going to be taken away, the lowest numbered relic. So in round one, that would be... So it's also... So, sorry to interrupt. It's also the round counter for the game. So there's maximum of six rounds in the game. And each relic is numbered one to six. Yeah, totally right. And so at the end of round one, the person who holds the region that 
um, with Relic 1, they get to claim it and they get to bring it back to their base. And the Relic itself will give you a massive power spike towards your own personal win condition. So what this does is from round one, it says, hey, players, you want this thing, this this shiny thing. This is going to help you. Here's an incentive to fight in the first round. When everyone wants to be building up their economy, you still can do that. But, um, hey, there's this other thing that is worth your while. Why don't you go in and um, have a rough and tumble over there and fight over that thing? So, yeah. Which is pretty much what I do every game is I go for the 50-50 chance on the Relic and and either get really strong or, or make it really hard for myself. But um, but it's definitely something which people can choose to do or not because if you go for that fight, it can go well for you, it can go bad for you. If you don't go for that fight, you can maybe build up strength and go for the second relic. Um, so there's lots of decisions. There's no kind of uh, single way to play out the 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 match which uh, which we thought was very important because we don't want it to just be like oh yeah you have to fight for the first relic otherwise you're going to lose the game mm, yeah how early on do you think and let's like uh, for me it's something that's really interesting always is kind of seeing where the game started or what what was in your heads other than wanting to make like a game that you'd want to play and like uh, a, a nice i i, I guess um, just mi- that mix that you're talking about between Ameritrash and Euro. What were the f- kind of first core ideas of the game, and do you think a lot of them, a lot of them stayed, or were there a lot of like darlings that you killed or stuff that you cut <laughs> uh, from? Yeah, that? Um, that's a great question. the The initial mechanism is still in the game, although it has changed a little bit. But the initial mechanism, and this was my my sort of first idea, uh, was Sort of, it's sort of like worker placement, but it wasn't worker placement at the time. It was this pricing mechanism. So there's a currency in the game, and there are certain actions that you want to do. So we'll just take the the sort of area control tropes of, you know, move and build and harvest and recruit and research. And each player, um, each round will price one of those actions, and. This was actually done with cards and dice, but basically they might say, right, if you want to do recruit, you're going to have to pay me three of this currency. And um, and so the tension there was pricing something high enough that you got a lot of coin, you got a lot of energy, whatever the resource was at the time, um, out of it, but you didn't want to price it so high that no one would pay you. And so you sort of work in this economy like you want to get a lot out of your opponents, but not too much that they just will decide to pass on the action. Um, and that that's changed a little bit, but that's basically still in the game, this whole pricing system. And, and so Zach and I also say quite often that you can lose the game from, from having a poor kind of military presence, but you can also lose the game on the research side of it, on the eco- economical side of it. You really have to focus on both sides of the game, the the engine building, the economy, and also the military, the battles, and you can't neglect either of those. Yeah, um, and we've seen in the playtesting, we've seen some people who are really good at the economic part of the game, and they get really rich and strong, but then they're not very good at the, at the, the strategic area control movement and fighting battles part of the game. And or or vice versa. There's people that have like hardly any resources, but they manage to win some battles. 
but the people that really do well are those people that manage to combine them too. And and I think that's the reason why it's the the perfect game for us or the game that we always wanted to play is because we want that that tension, that the the battles, the the confrontation, the trying to outthink the other person in the in the head to head, but also the kind of the the puzzle of trying to um, make all your resources uh, the most efficient they can be. And so it really manages to scratch both those itches. Mm-hmm. And um, about about that mechanism, yeah. So that was the the page that Sam sent through to me, the Google Doc that he sent through to me, was um, had this this thing about the dice. And um, and at the beginning, we we were like, okay, so you draft cards, and then you place the dice on the card. And so that at the beginning, it was like that. Um, there were a couple of problems. One problem was if you're just paying that amount to the person. If a person puts a six and you're playing with four or five players, they just get a ridiculous amount of money. And there's just inflation of the economy because um, maybe you gain money from harvesting and then you pay it to people and you're only ever really paying other people. So that there's a f- inflation. So that was one problem. Um, and so we eventually, uh, after... I don't know, maybe six months or something like that, um, realized that it could actually be done in a much more simple way of uh, having the actions on the board in order and having tokens rather than dice. And the tokens have stayed with total values of one to six. So that has um, stayed from the dice days. But the tokens have a value to pay to the player who places the token and a value that has to be paid to the supply. So basically, there's added tax so that the the economy doesn't inflate. Um, and so that was how we resolved that. And that's how that mechanism transformed, but kept many of the the, the same features that, that were intended. I'm glad it took us a while to solve that problem because in trying to solve the problem of the inflated economy, we actually came up with a faction who decided, actually, we're, we're paying the bank completely for all of our actions. Um, so Scaro they they can just neglect playing paying players and they can pay all of their energy to the bank um and so they were a faction that if they were in the game they were taking energy out of the economy so the battlefield that they fought on was the economical side and so you really had to sort of change how you researched when you're facing Skyro because you know you're getting less energy this game and so it wasn't so much that you needed to go and beat down on them on the on the on the battlefield but actually you need to try and boost up your economy to be able to to deal with that yeah and so it's funny that you mentioned that because i feel like so many times um at least in my experience when 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 something doesn't quite work or you or you you change it and then you sometimes you leave leave it in as like a special power or like a a little thing that like it's not in the main rules but you can have like a a um say an item or or, or like depending on on the game or like uh, like you said a, a, a faction that actually utilizes that so you can kind of keep those like early um early iterations or like er- earlier stuff that that has changed but also it, it can help you while going through it to um to actually you you use some of those things um, which I think is really yeah, yeah, definitely. I think some things got put on the shelf. They got taken back. They got transformed. Maybe they got put back on the shelf and then they got taken again to put into the game. Because, um, I mean, luckily, 
it was never there was never any pressure time pressure um we we presented the game to to shem um when it was i don't know maybe after a year i can't even remember how long it was but once we had developed it a, a reasonable amount to be happy to show it to him and be like hey um would would you publish this and but even then after he's like yep we still had heaps of time because of the the Garfield game schedule um so we actually continued developing the game and and i would say it was almost like six maybe like three to six months of designing and then like a year and a half two years of two years of developing shall we say um which has been amazing because you think the game is ready you're like oh yeah it's 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 really good now and then you find like an elegant solution that just makes it even better or just perfects something something that like was okay you could accept it but maybe just didn't quite feel right and then like out comes this elegant solution and you're like oh man that feels like how the game should be now you know it feels more like the game Mm. um which which has been a definite experience over over the developing time. What do you see as development versus initial design? Well, it's that's a hard question because um, I would say probably I would say the design was probably up until when we maybe showed it to Shem because we were like, yeah, we have a game, um, and then after that it was just refining those core concepts and making it better. But I guess sometimes. And that development process, it is almost, I mean, it's, they're kind of the same thing, but um, it's kind of hard to separate them. But sometimes the development is just tweaking and then sometimes it's redesigning something. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the combat system, I think, took us quite a while to, to get right. Um, being one of the things that I think myself, I'm not sure about Sam, but it's one of the things that uh, most disappoints me, I think, in, in area control games Uh just because they're not quite how I would like them to be. Um, they're either too, um, what do you call it, deterministic, so you already know what the result's going to be when you go into the battle, or else they're too random. So it's just like throwing some dice and hoping for the best. So um, we came up with the idea of, of trying to use cards and dice at the same time. So uh, in our game, you have the option so to play a card, or you can also not play a card, maybe. So units are worth uh, strength, which is what determines who wins a battle. And you can add to the strength of your army a card, which will give you essentially strength. And you can also pay another resource, uh, which is a gem, to be able to roll a dice, which is an average dice with one one, two twos, two threes, and a four. So basically, there's a little bit of swing with the card and the dice that you can win battles that maybe the other person thought you couldn't. But a lot of that comes down to greed, which is actually really um, good. I'll, I'll explain why. Because if you lose a battle that you should have won, it's normally because you did not pay the gem or you did not play a card when you could have. So basically, it's your own greed of trying to win the battle without paying all those resources. So you're like, yeah, I can win this without the card. You don't pay the card and you lose. Well, that's your fault. You should have played the card. Like you could have, you could have secured that battle if you had played the card. Um, or the, from the other point of view, that person who, who 
maybe had the disadvantage, they're, they're risky. They're like, yeah, I think this person is probably going to not play a card. So I'm going to play a card, pay a gem, and, and try and get the win. Um, and so generally when you lose a battle that you, that you have an advantage in, uh, it's your fault, which takes away that kind of like bad feeling of, oh, this game's just random. You know, mm -hmm. I should have won, I lost. No, you, you, yeah, you should have won, but you should have played better to win, you yeah. know? Um, and so generally when things don't go your way, it's your own fault, you know? Um, or if I go into a battle with a disadvantage, for example, I was talking about how I often personally play as I just, I, I, I roll the dice uh, in, you know, <laughs> quote marks, I roll the dice um, because maybe I go into a battle in the first round on top of Relic 1 where I have like a one or two strength disadvantage. And there I'm, I'm literally saying, I know going into this battle that it's going to come down to the dice roll. So I already know that I've accepted that as a fact and I know that it could go badly like it could go well. And maybe I know that my chance of winning is 30%, you know? Um, so this kind of, uh, this kind of system I really like because there's a lot of room for, um, for bluffing, for outplaying, but also when things go badly, it's generally your own fault. Uh, so there's not that feeling of this game is being unfair to me. Yeah, yeah, and that, that, that that's something which I, I I feel was really strong, and and to me that makes a lot of those battles memorable. Like I still remember that one battle where um, I went I went in uh, to fight for a territory that had zero units on it, only a building, and I I think I went in with one of my uh, with one of my like uh, heroes or like one of, one of my what are the leaders leaders, leaders. Yeah. yeah there you go with one of my leaders, and I got I, I lost a battle to a building, and to me I I I, I thought that was quite funny and it, like first of all it presented a, a a situation which is like okay this can happen in this game but then also uh you go i went in thinking yeah it's it, it has zero attack power i don't think they're gonna risk it because another really cool dynamic that i find in the game is that you're usually gonna have more than one battle per um per round so you're gonna need to choose which battles you want to you want to be stronger in. What I mean by that is like first of all, which battles are you gonna pay resources for? But also, because um, sort of the, the tiebreak in the game is the player whose turn it is to choose the battle. That means that you're gonna want to choose battles that uh, like like, like it, it. It's not again. You have you have the choice. Do I want to have the tiebreak in this? Which so many times it comes down to that tiebreak in the game. So it's not just nothing. You know, it's basically plus one. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's a strategic consideration, totally. Yeah. yeah, but to me, that 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 made that battle memorable because it wasn't just oh, I'm gonna go in there. There's no units there. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm gonna win this territory. You know, it's gonna be helpful for me. Uh, it's like you know, I think I'm gonna win, but in in the end, I didn't. And uh, that is yeah. one of those like those moments which, um, to me, I, I I still have from like years ago from like other games, and I I think when a game is able to create one of those moments, that's like really really uh, amazing. Yeah, and that's the thing with the tiebreak as well is that often maybe if you lose on tiebreak, not always, but often it's your fault because you could have picked that battle. Mm. You know, because um, as Ivan was saying, the tiebreak is who picks the battle. So there's a all the everywhere that there's more than one faction in the same. Uh, region there's a battle in the battle phase and it starts with the person who has the flare gun which is the first player token 
they pick a battle in which they are participating. And if there are more than one faction in the region with them, they pick who they're fighting. Now, they have the tiebreak. So if they finish with the same amount of strength, that person wins. Um, then you go to the person to their left who then picks a battle that they are involved in. And you just keep going around until everything's solved. Um, generally, uh, you know, if there's a lot of battles, you'll, you'll, have, you'll be able to pick multiple times. So uh, if you lose a battle, you might have had a chance to pick that. And then you lose it on tiebreak. And so, well, you could have won if you'd picked it yourself. Um, so putting, putting those, um, the outcomes as much in the player's hands as possible but leaving that element of of chance of a of a little bit of um, of risk of that roll of the dice makes things not predictable as well. Uh, so it, it it helps create those moments um, where maybe the person manages to win a battle which they thought they were never going to win uh, because the other person didn't play a card. You know. Yeah, the combat phase is so dynamic when there are lots of battles going on. Like uh, there's little things like if you lose a building you get a little consolation prize for losing your building. And the resources you get from that might actually help you to win the next battle. Um, so maybe you want to throw that that fight to lose the building so that you can win a fight that you've got your eyes on for later on. There's little things like redeploy. I mean, I won't go into all the details, but you know, there's redeploy where you can move your troops into another region where there's about to be a battle. Um, and you can really swing the tide of who's going to be winning that. So the, the combat order is is super interesting in this game. And um, the other thing is that the reason why we still actually enjoy playing it is because we haven't solved it. We haven't figured out the game. We haven't mastered it. Mm. I think there's a lot in the game mechanisms itself to kind of discover and to play around with. But then you add to that the people that you're playing against. Not only their asymmetric faction, but also them as a person, as a player, what what they like to do. Um, and different meta games will develop based on who's playing and who they're playing as, and how people and so price the actions as well. Like, yeah, it's they, just incredibly Moorish. You know, um, it is a long game. I don't think we've said, <laughs> but um, it, it's on average three to four hours. I mean, the more players, it's going to be slightly longer. But yeah, it's about a three to four hour game. And the first time you and, play will be longer, definitely. Yeah. yeah. We sort of wanted to make it sit in that sort of more than a normal Euro game length and on the way towards Twilight Imperium. So people have this expectation that it is an epic game. It is more one of those afternoon games that you sit down, you know, you get, you grab your snacks, you might have a breakthrough, you talk about how the first few rounds are going. It is one of those epic games. Um Yes, of course, you can play it in the evening, but it's going to be a late one. So, yeah. I, I know that like if you have players prone to analysis paralysis, you've got so much choice in the game that it can, it, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think that's one of the things that's like a double-edged sword when you want to have, like, like, for example, that combat system, the rolling of the die, but also the card, but also do you spend resources to, to make yourself stronger, but which one do you choose? And when you, when you present that to a player who actually wants to know all their choices um that can yeah. I, I definitely add to it but that I, I guess that's also kind of knowing your audience and when you're yeah. designing for yourself you know that you're cutting cutting players out always um but yeah <laughs> i we haven't had too many problems there's been one or two players but i think those players that have maybe had problems with the analysis paralysis just are generally prone to analysis oh, yeah. paralysis you know oh yeah um but i have to say from our play tests it's been pretty smooth even on the on the decisions front um 
especially in in a first game i think people just need to be willing to lose as well you know if it's yeah. the first time you're playing a game unfortunately um when you're playing a complicated game you it's hard to go into it thinking that you're that you're gonna do you're gonna be like the master because mm. uh it's a learning process oh yeah yeah talking about this analysis paralysis thing there, there definitely is analysis paralysis especially in the the uh, the move phase. and the combat phase where they're really yeah. your decisions and are really move, important yeah. there but um one of our goals was that for for a battle game we wanted even if it was going to be long say four hours we wanted there to be next to no downtime so people are really engaged there are a lot of combat games that i've played where it's your turn and you have this long list of actions and all these things you can do and you sort of run through this big big list of things that you can do and your turn is 15 20 minutes long you know um whereas in this with the way that we stagger the phases throughout the rounds everyone's sort of it goes around in clockwise order each of the different actions people get a chance to do them so the most you're really waiting um and the and the other phases is you know a good thirty seconds to a minute. You know, it yeah, doesn't it's take more like long. on the it's more like on the Gaia project, Terramistica kind of, or like Paladins. You know, you take one action, then it's the next person's turn. And even with the battles, you choose one battle, and then it's the next person's yeah, turn yeah. to choose a battle. So you keep that rolling. Um, I I really I enjoy Root, but one of the things in Root that I get annoyed with is waiting for my turn to come back because, you know. <laughs> If you're playing with four or five players, um, you can wait a long time before you get to play again. Yeah, I think that comes out of how our personal taste as well. Uh, Sam yeah. can tell you that I love skipping other people's turns because I want to play mine. So, uh. <laughs> and the other thing, the other thing mechanically about that, I mean, Root's a great game. I won't talk about Root and specifically, but if it is one of those, you take him, you take a million actions on your turn, then it goes around. The next person does that. The game state changes so much between your turns. It's just ridiculous, you know, and you don't really get a chance to respond to the player on your left because there's two more players <laughs> that have done things. And so that's the other thing we wanted was that, okay, actually we want turn order to be a little bit more, more dynamic. Um, and that that does happen with the way that the, the flare gun moves around. Um, you know, you're not always after the player to your right. Sometimes they might be... Uh, right at the start and then you'll be at the end that sort of thing or oh, the other way around so yeah there is that little bit of dynamic around turn order it is always going to go clockwise but who's going to be starting is going to change yeah and also that that could take away that like what you what you described of the game state changing so much between your your turns that that's a, an issue that i've dealt with like multiple times where you find it harder to plan for your next turn and it's like when it, when it comes around to your turn, you need to actually reevaluate the the whole game state. Um, yeah, and it, it's really cool how you you've dealt with it. How how you can you're you're always kind of looking forward, and if you want, you know you you do have a lot of information early on about, um, for example, in the earlier phase where you have those prices, you 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 can think about which um actions do i want to actually interact with this round like do, do i want to skip something because it's too expensive for example or how much you yeah. know so i do think that you're presenting players with some like visible information that um that they can kind of plan out uh whilst between turns yeah i would say four out of the five um main action phases you can plan out uh the, there's maybe just one thing like if someone takes the the special um, harvest token that you wanted that could 
that could be one thing that would frustrate you, but there's not really anything else where someone can, once all the prices have been made, you can just math out your your path to doing all the actions or doing the actions that you want. So definitely, yeah, that planning ahead. It's maybe just the move action where you have to wait to see what people do. When you started the game, um, did you did you sort of go in with it with wanting it to be like an am- ambitious sort of playtime, or like that that you want to have both the, like a strong economy side and like a, a strong combat um, oriented game? Uh, I th- I think I think yes to the second question. Yes, we wanted the strong economy and the strong combat. Both of those things to be important. Um, the first question, no, I didn't initially want a long game, but then if I answer the second question with a yes, then it has to be a long game because, because if you're doing economy and you're doing justice to a cool combat system, that's going to take time. Mm. Now, if you do half of each of those, then you're not going to have that, that payoff. Your, your economy is not going to get snowballing. You're not going to get online. You're not going to have all of those good feelings that that kind of go with Euro games when you are online, when your engine is purring. Um, so we wanted time for that to develop. And then we also wanted time for um, people to bounce back from bad from losing battles. If the game was a two-hour game, um, losing in the first round could be devastating. But it's a four-hour game, and you can bounce back after losing the first battle. And it is actually quite a forgiving game. Sure, you don't want to lose battles, but... Um, the game does sort of help you out. There is a little bit of rubber banding there, and there's there's time to sort of um, I don't know readjust, <laughs> re, re you know plan plan what you're going to do after a loss, and and yeah, you can still focus on your economy and get that rolling up up again, things like that. Yeah, I think the time thing was like a secondary consider- consideration. I think probably maybe. At the beginning, we might have thought like, oh, we could maybe go to three hours, you know. But at the end of the day, it was a secondary thing. Like we wanted the game to be the game that we wanted to play. And then obviously doing everything we can to reduce the time. But at the end of the day, I also loved the epicness of a risk experience, like how how it was a long game and, and things would change over the course of the game. Um Obviously, if I went back and played Risk, I'd probably get bored now. Uh, but so you have to be, if it's going to be a long game, if it's going to be three or four hours, people need to stay engaged. Like, I think that's that's the key. How can we, if the game is this, if the game is going to be three or four hours, how can we keep people engaged the whole time? Because um, if they get to the two-hour mark and they're done, uh, they're not going to enjoy the experience. Um, something that I, I guess I kind of just, um, mentioned in the beginning is, you know, it, it's, it shares a title with, uh, you know, first circadians game or it's part of that universe. Does, do do you think it's for the same market? I guess, or, or, or do, do you think that people who enjoy that will enjoy this or, yeah. yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, well, I like both of them, but that's like, there's a lot of bias there, but no, I don't think they've very similar games um there's a few there's a few touches kind of like my own signature what i like to design in games um there's a few things like that i love resource management and resource management is huge in both of these games um i love asymmetry and in first light it's not quite as asymmetric but it's still 
you know, the, the, there's variable player powers that are quite significant. They break the game in quite big ways. Um, you, so there's, there's that. Um, and the theme and the art are very similar. Of course, it's, you know, they're, they're brothers. Um, but that was actually really one of our concerns, I guess. Um, I don't know if it's a concern, but just that how are we going to get this kind of marketing right? How are we going to get this game in the hands of the people that will enjoy this game? Because if you like First Light, you won't necessarily like this, and vice versa. <laughs> if you didn't like First Light, that doesn't mean you won't like this, you know? So, um, but or if I you think don't like Shen... any Garfield games up till now, maybe because you don't like Euros, you might actually like this one because it's different, you know? Yeah. It's, it's quite different to everything else that has come out from Garfield in some ways. And in other ways, it has a lot of the a lot of the signatures there as well. Yeah. So Shem, um, like, he, you know, he likes to do his world building. I mean, he was the mastermind behind the North Sea, the West Kingdom. Like, he doesn't just design games. He designs worlds, you know, and series and things like that. And so he really, with the Circadians, he wanted to expand even more so than what we did with the West. Um, with the West Kingdom, there's three games that are Euro games. They're all different games. They're all... You know, they all stand up on their own, but they are similar in in sort of the space that they take up in your gaming kind of life. <laughs> they're, they're Euro games, they're uh, not soup, there's, there's a bit of interaction, um, they're a similar length of time, um, similar weight, that similar kind of experience. I'm not going to say the games are that similar, but... Um, Whereas with Circadians, he's happy to do like cooperative games, battle games, real-time games. He's quite open to actually making this quite a big world that can kind of put any game that he wants to publish into it. And so he, he was all about kind of building this world. And with Chaos Order now, we sort of feel like we know these factions a bit better. And when you go back to play First Light, you're like, oh, there's that leader. <laughs> that, you know, that leader that lost to the building in that fight, that Ivan uh, lost that, that fight there. It sort of adds that flavor, adds that depth to the to the narrative, to the story. Yeah. Yeah, and the, to me it sounds like, I don't I don't want to put like words in, in, in Shem's mouth at all, but it sounds like, you know, because he's very restrictive with um, the West Kingdom, like, uh, like one of, one of the things is like all, they all need to be in the same box and they, they they do all need to kind of be similar and you've got all all of the same characters and the like the setting is very uh, you know in in one place and maybe this is like um kind of a, a way for him to try out something a little bit different because i do i do think there's definitely a different it's got a different flavor to it and also it's you know quite far um like thematically where um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a theme that um, people basically the West Kingdom, you know, people are excited for the South because they know that it will be those Euro games that they love. And I'm lucky enough to have played two of the South games, and they're really good, and I'm really excited for when they come out. Um, but they are always like, even though they're different, they're using different mechanisms. Sam's mentioned it before. They're they're using dice in really interesting ways. They are still like that resource manipulation, multi-use cards, like lots of lots of those Garfield things that you love, yeah. just in an, in a new way, and you you know it's Garfield games, 
Um, whereas I guess circadians is just opening up to, to, um, like Sam, Shem, I'm in this game, luckily enough, designing it just to, to express, uh, any sort of type of game, as Sam was saying, um, I'm, I'm not sure there would ever be a circadians party game, but Hey, (laughs) (laughs) it could, it could be, um, social deduction, which we were talking about before we started recording. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, that could be kind of cool. I mean, I, I'm not the, I'm not the, the the guy who comes up with all the circadians ideas in terms of the world and where the story is going to go and stuff but mechanically what i'm quite tied to is if they're all exploring a different facet of asymmetry Mm. i think you can do that with cooperative you can do that in all sorts of games different weights as well you could do a social deduction asymmetrical game i mean that's basically what they are um so i i really like that kind of mechanical hook that runs through them yeah, and I, I think it's awesome kind of having having that space, um, and yeah. you know ha- having something that you can you can expect to see in different forms, but also linked together. Uh, yeah, and I would say what you asked before about the will people who liked First Light like this game? Maybe not, but Shem, for example, when he decided to publish this game, he said clearly, he's like, "This is not my sort of game." I don't like area control games. Like I'm not big into them. Not that he doesn't like them, but he's just not, he's not fast. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't feel he's good at them. Uh, I would say after he wrote the rule book, he just powered up and we played some playtests and he did super well. He understood what was going on and he said, nah, I really like this game. And now he's keen to play it. Whereas before he just probably wasn't that keen to, to play it very often. Yeah, but I don't- so there's, there's an example of someone who who maybe said, "No, I don't like battle games. I don't like combat games," but actually he enjoyed this one. So also, I'd say give it a try or watch play videos when they come out. And if you think you like it, give it a try. Yeah, if you sure. don't, that's fine. And it, it's not you know not not that a lot of area control games are just area control, but as I, I kind of see it, and I've told you this before, I kind of see it as two almost separate games that are linked together in in their resources and kind of position but uh, like there's a, a big chunk of the game that isn't area control and then you've got a big chunk yeah. of the game which is so i do think that yeah. um like at least for me and they're both fundamental that's the thing they're both fundamental to winning the game you can't win the game with one or the other yeah exactly exactly and i i think that's that's what makes um like that that's what i like in an area control game i don't think i really like only area control games like recently i played uh, a war of whispers which i thought was like probably one of the best pitches for a game um like ever because it's it's an area control game where you're not playing any of the factions have you guys had the chance to play it by any chance i really want to try it it yeah, looks stunning the production was amazing I haven't yeah played. i would love to play it as well i've never had the chance yet yeah but i think like that is is kind of what i really like in an area control game which is yes it's area control but also there's kind of got to be like a little twist or a little something else just so that it's not, you know, kind of only dudes on a map. Um, and I, I, I think like, I don't know, that, that game had me kind of mind blown just with the <laughs> area control, but you're not playing the factions. You kind of want some factions to win, but you can, you know, ch- change around the board, but everybody actually has access to all the factions. I thought that was awesome. Definitely recommended. But I think, um, 
I think yeah, for for Sham, I'm guessing it does actually have a lot of that euro euroiness, especially in that like first part of the game, how to um, kind of optimize what to research, how many resources, like what what do you want to get stronger at, um, what are the other players doing? Because also like you can see that some if, if somebody's not like doing really well for or getting ready for the second phase enough, um, you know you can kind of try and step step on their toes. Um, or so many times in this game, I feel like I've, I've also, um, I've not anticipated players' turns. Like, I would think this, this player is definitely going to be attacking this turn, and then they don't, and then I set myself up to, to respond to a move that doesn't happen, uh, which is always fun. <laughs> That's the beauty of playing with different players. We can't read their minds, you know, and you have to adapt yeah. to this new challenge, this new, yeah, I, I just love playing with different players, and, um, we've been doing a bit of playtesting online and it's been so fun just watching how people intuitively play this game. And <laughs> I will say that no one has played anything and, and I don't actually know what a perfect game looks like, but no one has played anything close to a perfect game on their first play. And to me, that's really cool to see because you don't need to play a perfect game to win. Uh, and there's this kind of, I think I talked about it on our um, podcast maybe a year ago or something, Ivan, the pursuit of mastery oh, yeah. is something that I love in games where you play a game and you enjoy it and you say, huh, there are things to learn here. I want to improve at this game. There are things that I didn't see the first time that now I understand a little bit better now having played. And people have the chance to, to pursue mastery of this game. They have the chance to really learn because there is a lot to learn and there is a lot of ways that you can improve and adapt to what other players are doing so seeing people play for the first time has been really really cool um to see how they go about it there are some people who are super scared they don't want to fight they they just sit in their little area and they turtle mm. and you know sometimes you can do okay with that some factions can turtle well and others just go for broke they don't care about their economy they're just gonna blow it all on war and um War is expensive in this game. If you, yeah. if you fight too many battles, you're going to get bankrupt pretty quickly. That's cool to see. What are your plans for the future? I guess, Zach, I want to know that more from you because uh, it, it is kind of new for you. And, and like Sam now is, is doing this full time. Um, but what would you say this experience was? Um, how cool was it that, you know, somebody who you're, you're friends with kind of um, helped you out in it and uh, what, how, how was this experience for you yeah um it was an amazing experience i have to say like seriously sam took me under his wing and taught me heaps of stuff and then he'll just tell you that it's everything like it's stuff that shem taught him so he's really humble but um it's almost the power yeah, one system <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um exactly no, because I, you know, I I really enjoy board games. I was starting to try and do out some ideas, and then Sam came up with this offer. So um, I work full time. So obviously, um, you know, I don't have heaps and heaps of time for game design. But um, so I, I can't work on too many things, too many different projects at the same time. But Sigadian's Chaos Order has taught me so much just about game design, and and I see that now, like. Um, I remember I, I playtested one of your games, Ivan, recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to give some, I think, good feedback. And, and it was all 
stuff that came from this experience of of learning from Sam and and so when I when I see like a, a prototype, I have better ideas of like what needs to change to actually make it into a, an enjoyable game. Because we all know that like often first prototypes are, are not very fun. Yeah. Um, so going forward, um, who knows? There could be other stuff in the Chaos Order uh, game. And I have some other game ideas. And also um, with, with Ivan, with you, actually, we've been working on something together. Um, I just uh, had, me and my wife had our first child uh, my daughter was born a couple of weeks ago now so uh, that's also makes things different for time to to dedicate but um but yeah hopefully this this first game will be well received and who knows it might open up other opportunities in the future i definitely am more on the shall i say area control side of things in my taste of creating games and conflict, and I think that is maybe something that made this um, working with Sam really good because I kind of wanted to make the game a little bit more aggressive, and he was mm. maybe trying to make it a bit more, um, you know, toned back. And so we managed to also strike a good balance there. Um, and so definitely other other projects that I have in my head also kind of involve or area control or some sort of uh, direct conflict. So that's definitely the kind of thing that that I enjoy and I enjoy designing. So maybe if, if I um, have the chance to, to bring out any other games, they will probably be, be on that sort of uh, line, but maybe not. Who knows? So what you're saying is every time that someone gets a reward for losing or compensation in this game, they can thank me. <laughs> Otherwise, they would have nothing if it was just you. No, I think I think the one, the one that I like. I mean, lots of the stuff was just like Sam being like teaching me and being like, uh, but you know, you can't have players feeling too bad. And I'm like, yeah, fair enough. But I am also kind of the deal with it guy. But one of the things I loved, which we took out of the game, but I really liked it was that Dreyek, who is one of the factions that um, they have to hunt down other people's leaders and they have to defeat their leaders. So they used to, when they defeated a leader, just take that leader from the player and place it onto their player board. And it's like, you can't have that leader anymore. And that was like they had to collect four of them or five of them to win the game. And I, I really enjoyed that kind of asymmetric. Like, they completely changed the game because they just took away one of your leaders. But then Sam was like, yeah, but it feels pretty bad. And yeah. so, so we ended up changing it so that they just gained a point when they defeated a leader and the player gets the leader back so they can buy them again. Um, so it's more like the leader is being humiliated in battle and needs to be uh, re... You need to convince them to go out and fight again. Um, so that's an example of... That's an example of my brutality. That, uh, but, um, but hey... Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, no, I, I, I think uh, that that's like first of all the the, the playtest that you you mentioned. Um, I think it was super helpful for you, and, and and it's it's like you can definitely see when somebody has like the experience because of the the way. Like I, I can tell you from that playtest, probably ninety percent, maybe maybe a hundred percent of of the issues that you mentioned were um, were actually implemented and. And you just caught on to like so so many things, and I think it was mainly because uh, you just get into a different mindset, and be just because 
Yeah. And it, it, uh, it, the same game we also have, have taken to like you know people who only play games, and mm-hmm. the the problems I don't think are easily as easily identified. Um, because yeah. like a lot of times people will propose solutions, but they won't yeah, realize yeah. what the they what... propose solutions. Yeah, that's one thing that I learned from Sam and and from Shem as well is is when when you're playtesting someone's thing, don't propose solutions. Just talk about the issues, and mm-hmm. so that's. That's what I tried to do with you, and I think it was helpful. Yeah, it was super helpful, <laughs> and uh, and and I think like with without that playtest, I think I, I felt like that playtest took our game where it would be like in a month for like a week. Um, so it was it was really really helpful. <laughs> Thanks, uh, man. <laughs> this is yeah, a bit of a gaming genius, eh? <laughs> just my well, hidden hidden gem. It's it's just um, you know Sam and Shem's experience, man, and having this chance to learn from them. Um, but they they really know their stuff, and uh, I I love just hanging out with them and playtesting their games as well because uh, we just have a lot of fun together. What was it like uh, working together? As in, um, what was your kind of schedules like? You had a full time job. How how much time I also live in Italy. I also live in Italy and Sam lives in New Zealand. We're both Kiwis and yeah. um there's a time difference. And so there's a time difference, like it's either ten ten to twelve hours, hours depending hours, on isn't it? Yeah. Oh ten to twelve. Ten yeah. to twelve depending on daylight saving. Uh so in the in the first year and a half, I was like my work hours were way more flexible and so often it was my mornings and Sam's evenings. Um, but recently, so, and, and at that time, Sam was working full-time. So it actually worked really well because he wasn't full-time designing. So <laughs> my mornings were his evenings when he was free. And then he went into full-time game design the same year that I ended up getting a, a different job where my, um, my hours are office hours. And so now it's my evenings and, uh, and his mornings, which works perfectly for for him as well so it actually worked out really well in, in terms of hours obviously you know like we have to find the space and 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 whatnot but uh but it, it's gone pretty well and with the game being kind of this long do you th- would, would you play entire games because what i found a lot of times especially early on in the design process like right now um where we're we're at with 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 a game like right now we're playing mostly full games just because it's like important to the game. But would you play entire games or would you decide to sort of um, play to a point and then like realize the things that haven't gone well so far, like identify some problems and then kind of try and fix them and then again, or would you more go in? Because what I really liked about playtesting with you guys and what I I feel like I learned was kind of play the game as if it's a finished like game and just do full kind of you know just just experience the game and then maybe you can you can talk about it but like i I, i've never felt uh with you guys that it was like brainstorm while you um while you play but i'm yeah yeah sam always sam always shuts me up when i start brainstorming during a play test he's like now wait till afterwards and i'm like okay yeah (laughs) It's, it's funny because you know I actually do that with other games, uh, brainstorm mid game, but this, it just feels like it's so immersive. It's such a, I don't know, such a rich, it's not like a thematic, a thematic game, I guess, like it's such a rich kind of, you're engrossed in what's happening on the map, what's happening with the factions. 
You don't want to stop and brainstorm. Um, and I think this goes back to um, the question you asked earlier about, you know, what's design, what's development. And I think my answer to that is that um, development is when you're actually having fun with the game, when the game is playable and it's enjoyable. And it's not just like, there, obviously there are problems, but it's not super apparent what the problems are. And so when we were developing, we were just sitting there playing the game with friends, enjoying the game. Mm. And we were really lucky to have people like you, Ivan, and there was a crew of people from Australia, um, Spain, uh, New Zealand, who would be up early morning or late night playtesting with us. And we yeah, also Italy during the, the lockdown as well. <laughs> yeah, and Italy as well. Yeah, yeah. We just enjoyed playing the game. Um, and I would be making, and Zach would too, we'd be making mental notes as to what was going down that was wrong, but also where we thought people were misplaying. Mm. And so if someone did a really big misplay, we might say, okay, maybe it's not the faction that's weak. There might be something intuitively that's going on here that we can you know, adjust with graphic design or a clearer rules teach or something like that. Um, but we would just enjoy playing the full game out. And then afterwards we would stay up for another hour or two, um, sending voice messages and typing in notes and, you know, theory crafting. And often I'd be thinking about it in my sleep and I would wake up and write a whole document of things to change. But it was a little bit different for two player games. And Zach and I did quite a few two player games where we would stop at the end of round two or round three and said, Mm -hmm. cool, this faction's clearly going to win. Or, cool, we don't know who's going to win, but we've seen what we needed to. This interaction between these two factions, something was wrong there. Um, Something felt oppressive, you know, things like that. So we felt like we could stop at two-player, but um, with higher play count, we just enjoying the game too much. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, can I... Yeah, you go for it. About the two-player. Part of the two-player thing is the fact that it was just us two designers. So maybe we felt a bit freer to just be like, yeah, we can stop. If you're with other people, you want them to like get the satisfaction of finishing the game and seeing who wins, yeah? Um, But the other part is also that two-player, by definition, is a bit more like a chess game, right? Mm -hmm. In chess, people at a certain point, they surrender because they're like, yep. Yeah, it's really not surrender, Everything that you you win – is a loss for the other person. Whereas if you're in, in more players, if you win against one person, the other person didn't lose anything and maybe they attack you next, you know, so everyone balances. Yeah, zero sum, right. yeah. Um, so definitely, like, this is this is something. I really enjoy the two-player in our, in, our, in our game, but it is always a two-player. Like, mm-hmm. two-player in combat games are always going to be a little bit more cutthroaty for this yeah. reason. So maybe... Maybe not after round two, but definitely after round three or four, if someone hadn't won the game, we could normally be like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm not going to win now. I, I surrender, basically. And But it also allowed us to get through more playtests as well. Um, and I would say, like, the the good thing about the, the asymmetry in this game, and that helps with the two-player as well, because maybe in some other asymmetric games, you can't play two-player with all the factions, um this one there's a lot of asymmetry but all the factions play on the same action phases they all all play with the same actions so the asymmetry is about um you know breaking the rules of the game uh not creating entirely different rule sets 
Um, so that means that at two player, you can play with any combination of factions um, and enjoy all those different matchups. And they'll all feel quite different. And we would sort of theorycraft, you know, oh, this interaction, you know, say AI and Oxitea, this is going to be really, this is going to be really Oxitea favored or really AI favored. And we would theorycraft and then we would be proven wrong. (laughs) And we were like, okay, is this just like surprisingly more balanced than we ever intended? Like we sort of thought that two player it would we sort of thought it would almost be impossible to get two player right where every faction has a good chance of winning i'm not going to say every faction has 50 percent in every matchup i mean that's probably just not true but it's close enough um where you know everyone with good play has a chance to beat any of the unique opponents even with potentially hard matchups it's still winnable yeah. everyone has avenues you can explore yeah Everyone has some sort of tools, like even if they're in a like what you would think is a hard matchup because of like the core identity of the faction, but then they have tools maybe to actually deal with the other faction. Maybe it's one of their leaders who is actually quite effective, or you know. So that's what we found is we, we were thinking, yeah, it's going to be really hard for this faction, and then and then we were surprised. <laughs> so it's nice being surprised by your own game as well. And know? this is one of like Shem's things is he wouldn't want to create a whole new game mode with all these different pieces to try and fix two player. Mm-hmm. Like he just wouldn't want to do that. He's, he's all about streamlining. He's all about, you know, producing the best product that is at an affordable price range that doesn't have all this fluff in the box. Yeah. And so the fact that we don't really need to add components for two player was a happy accident. There's, yeah. there's two pricing tokens that we add in for two player um for each for each faction it's just about um you know not having too bloated an economy yeah and also um, I, yeah I, I think sorry for interrupting i think that um in area control games usually what you need to do with like various player accounts is just shrink the map so that players are forced to like fight more for resources and stuff like that which i think I, I think you've got a form of that uh, where in like larger yes. player accounts you can the, the map becomes uh, you, you can basically teleport around the map, and it's it's even bigger. Um, but I, I think that's like one of the things that you've done to address that as well, right? Yeah, totally right. And actually, that's something that, um, to be fair, Shem mostly designed the map. Um, the map was hard. Yeah, the map was really hard, and we changed um, it about three or four times, I think. Yeah, initially it was Zach's beautiful paint drawings um it's not bringing yeah microsoft paint nice that's the, what yeah. the pros do yeah totally and um we yeah shem and i and and zach we had lots of discussions about how we could get this map working because we knew knew everything else was working but mm-hmm. it was quite hard to test the game knowing we weren't on a finished map for so long um knowing that the the board would be better, you know, in terms of like adjacencies and who who you can who you can get to and where you can be safe. Because we sort of want a few areas that are like um, like Australia and risk, not not that bad, but sort of like some areas that are closed in asymmetric map, shall we say? And, yeah, they can turtle exactly. Yeah, yeah. I I I think this is kind of on another note, but it's. It's what I mentioned before we started about uh, kind of a, a game I'm helping out a little bit with playtesting and development. 
And like, um, I think one of the big issues that you've solved that I I saw there, I'm not going to mention the game name, I guess, but um, was that when you spawn units, they always spawn in the, in the, in your base and you kind of have to maneuver them so that um, they go, they go out. So uh you, you in, in that way in, in circadians the, the, the way that it why it works um what why i think that's better for the game is that um the specific problem there was in it was in an area control you game you'd have you'd be able to just spawn on a space where there's already conflict um whilst mm-hmm. here you kind of have the threat but you also have that resource of movement and you you're you kind of force your units to uh, move around and, and you have a pinning mechanic uh, so that I, I I think that really adds to the um, the map itself and movement. I, I feel like becomes more of a puzzle. How do I um, like get to where? Yeah, because because we had a couple of problems to solve, right? Because we don't want people. Because really early on in the game, we just had these um, we called them meme squads because it was just like chuck all your units in one territory and just move them all as a big blob mm. and win battles. And we're like, we don't want the game to be like that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's still possible. You can still do that. Sometimes it's good, but it's really situational now. Mm-hmm. Um, we want it to be important to control territory and that you need you need your units out there to control territory. Um, but we also, you know, like, obviously it's also important to win battles. So you need to have units in those battles. Um, if you're able to spawn, I mean, it would never happen that you could spawn into conflicts and in, in the order of our rounds that could never happen mm-hmm. but if you can spawn onto the map where you already have units there's the potential to snowball like way too quickly because maybe you've got a really strong army out there and it just becomes stronger without you having to spend really anything so like how our one works is you do have to move your guys off base you have to use one of your movement points which are really precious moving your guys off base and getting them to your big army. So if your army's out there in the field, um, we have some ways, some buildings that help you uh, kind of like teleport out, you know, get deployed with one movement point to those buildings, which are further away. Um, But yeah, it it kind of avoids that fact of a snowballing powerful army. Mm -hmm. Um, And also uh, the pinning was to solve this thing about just having a massive glob which runs around like you get units pinned according to how many units the other player has so if you want to run over to that region three spaces away and you're running through other armies well you've got to leave units along the way and you're going to end up with a smaller army when you get to where you actually wanted to go and you're going to have to fight all the battles for where you ran through um so it took a while but eventually we kind of got to the the point where it didn't feel like the strategy was just to make a glob of units, nor did it feel like the strategy was just to have two or three units on each region. Like there's kind of that balance of, yes, I do want to have a strong army and battles that are important to me, but I don't want to leave my regions completely undefended because people will come and punish me. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that pinning solved was moving last was so important and it still is really important because you could respond to where all the other battles were going to be because battles aren't resolved until everyone has moved you can see where there's going to be battles before they've taken place um so moving last to respond was really really crucial but now if you're moving first it's not so bad with the pinning rule because now you can lock people in 
you're saying, hey, with those units there, they don't get the chance to respond. They're forced to stay here with me because we're fighting. And so that allows for the first player to make some really cool strategic moves to sort of um, prevent the other player from having much sort of flexibility in their response. So um, sometimes you actually want to, when you, when you price the move action, you can price move first or move last. You can decide, do I want to move first or do I want to move last? And sometimes you strategically go move first. You take the initiative. You get to the spots you want to. You block other people getting there with a the full force, that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, and that, that goes back to, I guess, that pricing mechanic. And again, you're... It, it, Another interesting bit is how you, you, you as the game designer aren't solving for the players. You're not saying first player always gets more than the last player or the opposite, you know. Um, it's like you, you can kind of decide in that pricing phase, um, do, do you want your advantage to actually be movement and, and do you want to have perfect information or do you want to, which, which is, you know, move, moving last um, or, or, or do you want to move first? So, so it's, again, uh, yet another place where... Um, you're giving players that choice, I think. One of the one of the things with giving players choice is we love agency in games, and there's a real tension here actually between my f- design philosophy, which is agency, give players choice, you know, sandbox. I love that sort of thing, um, and asymmetry, because traditionally, really, if we think about it, asymmetry is not the player making choices, but the designer making choices for the player. And the designer is basically saying, here's the path you are to go down. And so I really, really, Zach and I really, really wanted asymmetry in this game, but we also want agency. Like, can we have both? Can we have our cake and eat it? And one of the ways we do this is with the unique cards that each faction gets. They have three leaders, generally and they have three attributes the leaders we've spoken a bit about them they have combat strength and stuff like that and they also have ways they break the rules and then them specifically on the regions they are and then there's the attributes the attributes are the rules that you get to break um different ways that you get to do things cool and And there's also a building yeah there are buildings there's also unique buildings but um when players get the chance to deploy these leaders, they pick which one they want. So there's a little bit of agency there with their, with the asymmetry. They decide which of these three leaders do I want to deploy first, that sort of thing. And then with the attributes, they can upgrade them as, over the course of the game. And so their their special abilities get stronger. But the player, again, they get to decide which of the attributes they want to get stronger. Um, so this was us just giving a little bit more power back into the hands of the player while still having the beloved asymmetry that we so dearly wanted. Is 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 there things that you still see as problems even at this point? Because, I mean, you know, I think this is something that we talked about last time with, with you, Sam, about uh, kind of getting a response from players and then just nodding your head. I, I, I seem to remember you saying that. I, I hope that I don't <laughs> misremember it <laughs> about, you know, uh, kind of, um but but also the the problem of you know just having to call it at one point like this is a finished game did you know at one point like this is good enough to publish or right now do do you think there's still are, are basically when you when you've gotten to this point where you know it's going to be published and you're finalizing things do you still have those moments of uh you know i i, I kind of want to still change that 
and you know because it's it's really not done until you decide it's done you know and how did you kind yeah. of decide that I hate this moment. I hate this moment where we have to say it's done. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm just not good with it because I love to keep tweaking. And you know what? With with the game like this, Chaos Order, I could be tweaking for another year. Eternity, um, man. Look, yeah, it's, honestly. It's like, it's like League of Legends. They patch it, right? And they tweak all the champions every so many months, right? It's almost the same thing where it's like after you see a, – a, a larger amount of games maybe that leader could be one attack more you know like to be perfect to be completely balanced maybe but you know you can't you can't do that sam did change a leader quite recently slightly <laughs> yeah and and that's that's a really good point with league of legends so many video games they get they get patches they get dlc all this sort of thing and they can fix the issues with board games we just have to release something and hope that it's okay. Like it's just, it's just not fair. We can't, we can't do patches. No, you know? there's, we can't there's do second prints things. that fix things. Like uh, recently, there was through the ages. I, I, I seem to remember. Yeah, but it has to already be successful. You know, does, <laughs> if you, yeah. you don't have if that you make chance. a, yeah. if you make a big mistake, you're not going to get a second edition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so like kind of tongue in cheek. Like I would, I would keep working on this forever. But at the same time. I'm really happy with the the state of the game. Um, I'm seeing so many factions win um, on their unique conditions. I'm seeing the global win condition happening. Um, like not a little bit surprised, but the the game meta of new players is quite different from our meta. Um, and so then the the design question is: Well, do you design? Do you balance around experts or do you balance around new players? Because if new players play the game and they tend towards a certain meta, um, they might think the game's unbalanced. In that meta, it might not be balanced. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and then you have this thing in design about like high skill ceilings and and high skill floors, low skill floors, that sort of thing. What what are you aiming at? Are you aiming at the the most balanced game for players who have played it twenty times? Or are you aiming at the most balanced game for the first play, what people intuitively would do? And there's not actually a clear answer because if you go straight for the the 20 plays, the people who are really, really experienced, then they might not ever get there. Yeah, yeah. And so it has to actually be somewhere in the middle. It really does. It has to be somewhere in the middle where players can play it for the first time and think it's balanced enough. Yeah. And as they get to play the game, they realize, oh, this is what this faction can do to counter that. And they start picking up these other, you know, little skills and things to do. Um, and so, yeah, I, when I do the tweaking, I'm often tweaking for my game meta and what I think is strong, the way that we play the game. But that might not be the case for someone playing the first time. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's important to say that, like, the things that we've changed over probably the last uh eight months so or you know this this year 2021 mm-hmm. have pretty much only been slight tweaks to faction power just trying to get them as balanced as possible like yeah. the core stuff of the game for a long time we've been really happy with it um and and so when you think about that like yes the game is really like champions on league of legends it's really hard to completely balance 
really asymmetric factions. And we think we've done a really good job at it. Um, but, you know, when you when you publish the game, it goes out into people's hands and maybe there's like, maybe we've played the game, I don't know, 50 times. But, you know, when you when maybe thousands and thousands of people start playing it, there'll just be so many plays of the game and, and such a larger... Yeah, things um, will pop up. Yeah, maybe. I hope not. <laughs> but... Um, but I think we'll get lots of we'll probably get lots of messages on uh, on BGG where people feel that things aren't balanced. I hope not, but uh, but it's it's likely to happen in a game like this because it's definitely a game where sometimes we've played it with people and they go, "Oh, this isn't balanced," and and because we know the game well, we're like, "Yes, it actually is." But mm. you know, I'm sorry that you feel that way, <laughs> but um, but yeah, uh, I think that's just part of releasing a game as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but we we we're really happy with the game. We're happy with the core mechanics. We're happy with the uh, with the factions, and um, and we're excited to to release it and see uh, see what people think and people enjoy it. We're happy. Yeah, and it's 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 a really interesting line when uh, kind of that first experience versus the experience of the the designer who's presumably and hopefully had like hundreds if not like over a thousand hours with, with the game because you know a lot of times and the, the thing is that sometimes you do need to address those things if you keep hearing the same thing and you're like no it's not but then you know <laughs> then, then you, you you may need to like think about it but sometimes the, i don't know it's uh, i think it, i think that's a really really good point that you brought up sam with uh just who are you catering to and who do you want this game? Like, do, do you want somebody to kind of go in really deeply with this game? Um, or do you, like, and it's not an or it's, it's also an end, you know, cause you can yeah. still make, um, you can still make a good first, you know, I'm not saying that the first impression needs to be like, um, you know, a, a lot more difficult or a lot different, but, um, I think, I think that's really, really important and to just kind of learn and how to how to address those things i think a really good example of that to me is um like stonemaier games with their games how they kind of um how they lead you into the experience with like even like a little strategy guide or like if you don't know what you're doing you know try doing these things like i remember inside it's like try building up to do a second act to be able to afford playing a second action and i think that is a really good way to because I remember my first games of Scythe, because Scythe might be a game that I've played more than any other game, and it's it's only because it was one of my first ones in my board game collection, and uh, and I spent so much more time with it because I did I didn't actually go on to like buy a lot of more game a lot more games. And I didn't have like game groups and stuff, uh, but in Scythe I seem to remember the, my first plays. Um, I would I would build up all my workers, and I'd travel around with like eight workers or whatever the limit was. I think it's eight. And every time I, I do the produce action, it'd be like, um, I'd, I'd have to pay all the resources because that's how they've kind of balanced it out. Um, but that's changed, like, it, it, it's a game where, like, five games in, it changes. You know, it, it, you see, okay, that's not a good strategy, actually. Uh, <laughs> you know, but... Uh, yeah, because it works in all the other Euro games, just get more workers, right? Yeah. And then you come and play Scythe and you get text, all this popularity and, like, military strength. What, what's this all about? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think, I think that, 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 that's something that, um, it's definitely worth at least thinking about a little bit or at least knowing. And I, I, I think it's great that, 
um, you're going in doing all these playtests with different people. Because if I remember correctly, um, when we, I don't know if it was when I talked with you or with Shem, um, but you you said with like the West Kingdom games, you do most of of uh, of your playtesting playtesting just together, like in house, and you know you, you oh, yeah. get experienced. I think you said that with with like architects, you 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 didn't only um, like build a lot, and then when you saw groups building a lot, that would like shorten game length a lot. Um, because that's kind of the end game. But. No, no, yeah, that's totally right. Um, with architects, yeah, there was like the cathedral strategy was mm. a sort of one that we would do from time to time, and we noticed that uh, some groups, three or four people, were racing up it, and the game was just so much shorter. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if they want to play the game that way, they can. It's just a faster game. Yeah. Um. I don't necessarily like the game being shorter, but what I do like is the threat of it being shorter. Mm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I, I like exactly the tension of it could end any moment. Now I don't want it to end any moment, but it could. And then that sort of stress kind of forces you to make some decisions around, well, am I cutting corners here? Am I going to get to do everything I want to do? Which thing am I going to leave out? Or am I going to be greedy and miss out on those points, miss out on building that last building? So that variable end time is something we like to do in our games. Um, but but back to the kind of the question that led to that was, yeah, a lot of our testing, Shem and I, uh, for the West Kingdom was pretty much just Shem and I, um, or, well, Paladins and Viscounts in particular, we did so much of the testing, and, and Shem did heaps solo as well. Mm. Um, with this game, it's just... I mean, there is interaction in those games, but it's inherently interactive. There are so many points of interaction. Mm. Even even the Euro elements, you know, with the pricing and and all those sorts of things, it's just there's so many points of interaction. So we needed to see lots of different players play the game. Um, and we weren't necessarily looking to them to tell us how to fix it, but we wanted to see what they wanted to do, what they would tend towards just to kind of catch every play style possible <laughs> from all of our future players yeah i think i think that might actually be like zach's contribution from from the outside looking in that much player interaction because uh because because zach you said that uh, i love it man yeah <laughs> <laughs> i love player interaction that's why um architects is my favorite of the west kingdom i know lots of people like oh paladins is a much superior game or you know or Viscounts is, I really like Viscounts as well. That could actually surpass it for me. But I love the interaction architects because when we were playtesting it like four games in a row, um, you were looking at what other people were doing. Like, for example, the cathedral strategy. If you see one person has the advantage there, you go, okay, sure, you can lose five of your workers straight away. I'm going to build buildings which are worth more points. So if you can't manage to finish the game, um, I'm going to get more points than you, you know? So it's about like looking at what people are doing and other people are doing and countering that. And I really enjoy like not just the solar tier. Like I do enjoy that as well, but I love the games where you're not just playing, you know, multiplayer solar tier, but you're actually like looking at what other people are doing and responding to what they're doing as well. Yeah. And I can definitely also see that uh, threat I, I I definitely see that in the relics of the uh, of circadians, the threat that it could end with with those two two conditions, which is you know your your condition or or like the area control condition. Yeah. Um, 
I, I think that's really cool. And also, like a, a game like Side that we talked about the combat. I, I I think what I like about that system is exactly the same thing because you don't do you know it's it's not a combat game, but you have the threat of of combat and you have the threat of if you have like high power and people do look at that and that that's what I think is like really cool there. Um, is you're you're probably gonna have like one or two combats uh, combats happen in in that game. Um, you know, and usually it's gonna be towards the end. But, but the whole time you're kind of looking. Okay, how many, how much power does the other player have? Um, like you know, and maybe you're you're building up your power just to kind of look tough or like look look that look look like you know. So the people don't want to mess with you. <laughs> totally, I love that too. Yeah. What games are you guys um, sort of playing now? Or um, I know Sam, you're working on a ton of projects. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah what what uh what are you guys playing and what sam what are you kind of working on now that you're full-time because you weren't full-time last time you were on the podcast no nah, i don't think i was full-time no i think i was doing one day a week uh mm-hmm. so yeah i'm full-time now uh i'm spending a lot of time on tabletop simulator uh so we're putting lots of our kind of prototypes on there garfield games ones so Shem and I are working on the first two South games in the trilogy of South games. Um, so there will be more info on that coming quite soon, I think, actually. Uh, but that's been going pretty well. Um, we also, alongside Chaos Order, Circadian's First Light is having a second edition. So that's to um, to sort of make the artwork match a bit better. Uh Sam has really, really done an amazing job with Chaos Order. And he did a great job with First Light as well. Um, but, we'd, but we're wanting to make it feel like it's the same world. And so the art needs to change to match the art of Chaos Order. So we're doing a second edition. And with the second edition, I was given the chance to tweak things. And I love tweaking things. So <laughs> I've been testing uh, the solo mode, getting it right, because the, the game is actually one round shorter um so it's going to be a faster game but players start with more resources so they get more done so there's just that same level of satisfaction in less time so it's a it's a big win in in my books um but i needed to fix the solo mode because they weren't tuned to play one round less uh so i'm doing that i'm working on chaos order working on expansions for west kingdom games um so works of wonders just been on kickstarter City of Crowns is fulfilling from Kickstarter. And then we've got two Viscounts expansions coming out uh, next year. And then all my other projects I cannot talk about. <laughs> the other 30 projects. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm actually not doing that many more. I mean, when I, when I put it like that, it sounds like a lot, but a lot of it is kind of development work. Mm. Um, you know, just expansions and tweaks for different games and things like that. But not like heaps of new designs. The South, the first two South games are already like at a good, a really good point, and they have been for a while. So that's development, yeah. really. Yeah. And in terms of what games I'm playing, apart from my own, I have been spamming Terra Mystica on Board Game Arena. There's like a, there's like a bit of a scene um, on Discord and stuff, and is a really cool community of people that just love Terra Mystica. So I've been enjoying just getting like absolutely whooped by these pros, um, but getting to know them, it's been really cool. And I think I'm actually going to be on a podcast, a Terra Mystica pro- podcast this week, 
and I'm probably going to be the worst Terra Mystica player who's ever been on that podcast. So that's going to be fun. <laughs> um, so I have been playing, uh, unfortunately, I don't have a whole a lot of time. So I've mainly been playing um, Chaos Order and the South games on Tabletop Simulator. Um, and got smashed by one deck dungeon with my friend the other day. Um, smashed by that game. Wrecked us in the face. And, and uh, apart from that, I've been playing some football manager on the computer. Uh, it's not a board game, but uh, it's a nice uh, time, time pass. So I quite enjoy it. And it's something I can play by myself. And like I can play silently as well when, uh, when my wife and child are sleeping. Um, so, yeah, mainly, mainly Garfield games, actually. Just um, mainly testing because I enjoy spending time even uh, virtually with, uh, with Sam and Shem. And, uh, and sometimes my younger brothers get in on, on their tests as well. Yeah, awesome. I, I almost feel sometimes like it's two separate hobbies, like designing games and, and playing games. Um, Spot on. Yeah. It is. It really is. Yeah. I would love to be able to play more games. And um, I, I was like the last, uh, when there was the pandemic, it kind of made things difficult. But I used to go to my local board game cafe and play with the owner and, and learn new games. But, but recently, for different reasons, I don't have very much time. So, so what are your kind of, uh, I, I usually ask for advice to um, new game designers. Um, I would say like if you have the chance in some sort of way to learn from people who have experience and have published games, I think there's just so many things that it's learning from like books and reading and, and online and whatever, there's only so much you can learn. Whereas when you're actually doing, you're getting real advice, you're doing stuff with people, there's so much that you can absorb. And so I would say if you have that chance, if you know some people, try and pick up as much as you can from them. Um, and other than that, yeah, like one of the, the, the things I struggle with the most is believing in, in my games. And I think this process showed me that the first prototype is always going to be bad. Like it's, it's almost never going to be any good. So um, just, just believe in it and keep working on it. Awesome. Unless your name is Vlada Shlatil and you just design code names yeah. like and then spend three months trying to fix it and realize that it was perfect. I mean that I, that's what I've heard anyway. I'm just I'm just sharing what I heard. That's amazing. Yeah, no, it's it's similar it's similar with like Bruno Cathalo when I talked to him, he said that like he he spends like a bunch of time thinking about a game and then his first physical prototype just works. <laughs> <laughs> like okay yeah what a freak i love it it's yeah. so good yeah uh, sam you got anything before we uh, finish up uh yeah i i think i might have even said this last time and this is probably just the other side of the coin that that zach is um zach is sharing i would say find someone else to work with and if you're an experienced designer maybe find someone who isn't experienced and has that spark who has that fresh idea who um, something about Zach, which was really cool, is he just caught the vision. Like we, we didn't need to explain too much what we wanted. We both just wanted the same thing, and maybe that's quite rare. Um, it's the same also with me and Shem with the Euro games that we design. We just 
want the same thing from our games and we i just have so much fun working with friends um designing games i find it way more enjoyable than than working on my own we bounce ideas off each other um i get told that i'm wrong all the time and i often will say that someone else is wrong as well and but you just learn so much from someone else and when you realize that you're on the same team and you want the same thing from your game then the feedback is just awesome it's just such a cool way to to improve and also like fixing problems together is great as well because you have the different kind of ways that people think and solve problems and that allows you to be quite creative with the ways you fix things in games so this has been an absolute blast and as you said like the hobby designing a game is different from playing the game and this has been a really enjoyable experience um I don't know when Zach and I are going to design another game together. Who knows? It's got to it's got to start with a spark. It's got to be like this is the next thing. This is like what we've always wanted to play part 2. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, I would say find someone to work with if you're anything like me, um you'll enjoy it so much more. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. That's the the Padawan system. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Star Wars got it right. Yeah, so if Shim <laughs> is if Shim is quite gone, then I'm Obi Wan and Zach is Anakin. So I must turn evil at some point and make like <laughs> evil Ameritrash games that make everyone hate each other. Will you betray Garthel. Right? <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys so much for, for the time. And uh, I can't wait for Circadian's Chaos Order to come out. Thanks, Thanks Simon. Simon. It's been great chatting with you. It's always awesome to chat with you. Thank you. Thanks, man.